0: Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the $100 is Zach Ferran. He's a 22-year-old Apple employee, and he's listening to the show and loving it. For your chance to win $100 every Monday, simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes now, and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you did it to enter. Folks, many of you heard I made a big league acquisition of a business, nathanlacka.com forward slash sendlater is the name of the business, and I didn't want to give up equity to a developer because I'm a business guy. So what I did is I used a website to find a guy named He Sheming. I paid He over $12,000 to help me build Send Later, and the site that I am using now is called Topdoll at nathanlacka.com forward slash T-O-P. I will build send later into a big business and I will take it public by the time I turn 30. I'll tell you more later on in the episode. Top drive, this is episode 405. Coming up tomorrow morning, you'll hear from Chris Evans, the ad genius behind Amy Porterfield and Melanie Duncan. Top drive, what is up? Hold that coffee tight. Today's gonna be a good one. We've got Jonathan Goss with us. He is the founder and CEO of Nomad Financial, a company providing interim CFO, accounting, tax, and banking services for early to mid-stage companies, as well as an operating partner at Interplay Ventures. He previously spent, previously spent five years at IAC on the NASDAQ, that's IACI, in a variety of strategic, transactional, and operational roles. Most recently serving as the head of finance and business development at vimeo jonathan are you ready to take us to the top
1: yeah absolutely great to be here
0: so you've been all over the place video with vimeo business development finance what's your main focus now my main focus
1: is honestly entrepreneurship and my passion is around helping founders succeed and that's what led me to start nomad financial
0: so was nomad financial was after your stint at vimeo or before
1: it was it was i left vimeo and i was working with a lot of early stage businesses Um, A company called Capital New York, for example, they end up exiting to Politico. um, And you just see the same problems with with early stage founders and even mid-stage founders looking for strong financial operations.
0: Give us the top one, top issue you see these first time startup entrepreneurs stumble over every time. I think the, the biggest one
1: is setting up to, you know, from the top is, is setting up their accounting system to actually support the business as opposed to be something that you just use as a nascent reporting tool. Mm-hmm. You know, it really should support decision making. And if you do it properly, it'll, it'll help that process.
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. So walk us through, well, I, I want to, I'm, I'm curious about Vimeo, but how long ago was that? Was that like many, many years ago or is that recently?
1: Uh, it was, it was, it was a few years ago. It was, I I guess this point four or five time moves really quickly, but I can still, I'm still happy to talk about Vimeo if you want.
0: so what is that space? Like, I mean, it's competitive as heck. You've got obviously YouTube, then you've got all these other ones like Wistia, which might be more direct competitors. How, how will Vimeo survive? What's the positioning?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting about Vimeo is that when I started, I had to go on these 30 minute explanations of what we were, why we were different from YouTube and what our goals were. Um, it seemed maybe one out of all 100 people knew who you, who we are. And when I left, it was the opposite. 99 out of 100 knew who we were. Um, I didn't really have to explain the value prop to most people. I think they recognized it It just attracted a very different community, a different type of user. And the big thing that they did was built tools in order to support video makers. And they focused the entire value proposition around the maker as opposed mm-hmm. to the consumer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, cool. Well, so that was five years ago. Uh, You're now, again, Nomad Financial. So so tell me how you're actually making money from this, you personally. How do you make, how do you generate revenue?
1: Yeah, we, so, you know, our, for, we have a number of different services and our clients pay us by the hour for most of them. Um, Whether it's accounting or CFO, tax for the filings will be a fixed fee, but it really is based on the number of hours it takes to do the work. Um, And, you know, our whole thing is we built an entire team of people who are incredibly passionate about working with early to mid-stage businesses, they have a history of doing it, um, and this is the space they really wanna play in. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you, I'm looking at some of your services. And I remember when we were building Heyo, which, you know, I sold just this year in February 2016. But, you know, we had a board because we had raised 2.5 million bucks, did all this. You know, one of the big things that I just did not want to deal with was we kept having to negotiate over the exercise price of newly issued stock from our equity pool to new employees. And one of the things that we had to keep getting in alignment for tax and just you know, regulatory purposes was the 409A valuation relative to the exercise price relative to the last valuation of the business, which most entrepreneurs, you want to keep the option issue exercise price low. So there's more upside for the, the entrepreneur, for the new employee. However, you want to maximize valuation. So I love that you have 409A valuation on here.
1: Yeah, we, we believe that part of our role is CFOs of a business or supporting the CFO. Um, whichever they may be is being their advocate and really walk into that process. And when they hire someone to actually execute the four a it's being their advocates. So they understand the trade offs there. The other thing we've started seeing is, is during audit pro- during the audit process, when you, whether you're using a big four or one of the other large firms, you're starting to actually see some pushback on that, right? That they'll almost the, the, the price negotiated or wait, who will push back the auditors. will Well,
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So you're starting to see different trends occur and, our job is to be on top of that. What are the latest trends? Who are we working with? What's the reasonable argument we can make on behalf of our
0: client? Interesting. You know, I'm going to make a decision here. Um, usually on these episodes, I go deep into like how much money you're making and how you built the business, but you are going to be able to teach us more. So I'm going to focus questions more on like, what are some of these things? So a lot of people, I guarantee they won't know what a 409 evaluation is. Can you describe it to our audience? Assume they know nothing.
1: Yeah. The easy answer is when you have stock pools or, you know, and you have a stock price that as you start giving away that stock every year, you need to reassess the value of it. And the 490 determines the value, the strike price value of any stock options that you give out, right? And the strike price being, you know, whatever, when in the future, when your employees need to buy the stock option off you, when they exercise their option, that's the set price that they make the gain above, right? So if the strike price is a dollar and you sell for 20 they make $19 a share. If the strike price is $5, you sell for $20. They eventually make $15 a share. And one of the interesting things a lot of first-time entrepreneurs don't understand is they get mixed up comparing their 49A valuation, which has big tax implications for their employees, as well as uh, future gains implications for them. They mix that up with the exercise of doing a valuation for the purpose of selling stock to investors. Mm-hmm. And those are really two separate processes.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a critical, critical balance. Tell go take us into cap tables real quick. So entrepreneurs listening, they understand, you know, when they launch a business, they might have to give up forty percent the business guide to the developer or vice versa. But help them understand more about cap tables. What's a mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make early on when it comes to managing their cap tables?
1: I think there are two things that we've seen. One being, and this can be a fault of if they didn't hire the right legal counsel who specializes this area, but they don't have consistent terms and so they make it harder to manage their cap table and understand the impact of any future exit. Um, you mean like have, ratchet
0: clauses on one note versus the next note doesn't have a ratchet clause? Or I mean, what do you mean by that?
1: Exactly. Or, yeah. the, or what the cap is on the note, um, the discount rate, uh, interest rate, if they're doing notes, um, or even in equity rounds that they're just, the, the more complicated you make it, the it's to understand the implications mm-hmm. of what an exit is going to look like and how much money they're going to make. Yep. So I think that's, that's one of the, you know, one of the bigger aspects we do. There is a lot of software now that facilitates the process, but if you don't structure it correctly from the get go and you're not working with your attorney to make it simple, even the software can't always help through all those pieces. It makes, it just makes it much harder to deal with
0: this was one of the most valuable documents i ever got from my cfo slash legal team at hayo and it was a a basically a pro forma that they put together in excel that took into account all the money we raised you know all the option pools everything it dilution everything and you know liquidation preferences all that and i could just plug in numbers of what we would sell for and it would instantly tell me how much money everybody would make investors employees me everybody and it was so so powerful do you do that kind of stuff
1: Absolutely, we will work with that. Our CFOs will build those build those models for uh, for our clients. And I think that's a really important point that you're discussing, which is really understanding the implications of a sale. What we had a client come to us one time, and he had an offer to sell his business, and he'd been doing it for five years. He really bootstrapped most of it mm-hmm. to build a pretty significant digital media site. And as he was looking to exit, he had this offer, and there are really two aspects of it. One, his investors were going to get paid. Were, go, we're going to get paid but not as much as like, as actually the value of the last round In additional, he wasn't gonna make any money off his equity, but he was gonna get some, some of his personal debt off of his back. Yep. Um, Cause he took some investors, but really had minimized the kind of the amount he took on over the years. The kind of the process we went through with him is explaining, this is how much you make here. This is how you need to create a marketplace for yourself. And this is that threshold price you need to set if You want to make any money mm-hmm. and really walking him and educating him through the process and what it looked like. And he, he ended up going through an exit process with a different buyer who was able to kind of honestly make him a multimillionaire, um, and let him walk away with a pretty big win while sustaining, while keeping the business in a sustainable place with the new investor, um, and continue to kind of grow it and rebuild the, the site, you know, um, you know, focused on current dynamics of the digital media space.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, I have people on this show all the time and they say things, actually I'll tell one, uh, anchor Nagball had him on an episode 117, went, went live in November on November 19th last year. He launched a site called teachable and they're doing were at the time they're doing like 150 grand per month. And he just closed around where their post money was 30 million. And I'm going, Ankur, you're young. You're like my age, 26. Why on earth would you try and get the highest valuation possible? It's going to take you forever to grow into that. And if you get a $5 million acquisition offer, but the $30 million has a 1x or 2x liquidation preference on it, you're not going to see any money off of that thing. It, it, it must baffle you seeing this, entrepreneurs maximizing valuations without looking at terms and then what those terms do on an exit where the entrepreneur might end up with no money.
1: I think that was, that's a great point too, is understanding preference, right? Is it, is it, uh, participating preferred, non-participating preferred, you know, what is the structure? When did they make money off of it? And that's a really, really great point. Right. And what's funny, well, teach I get your
0: audience that, cause they don't know what all that stuff means. Well, what is preferred with all that? Yeah. So the idea of, uh,
1: pre- you know, you've preferred shareholders who they are going to get paid out before you do as an entrepreneur or your, your employees do as uh, an option pool, right? They're going to take a dollar back. You know, if they have a one X uh, preference, they get paid uh, every dollar that they put in before anybody else takes any money out.
0: So if they put in a million, they get a million back first, no matter what.
1: Yes. If yeah. it's one X, you could have two X. Some, sometimes investors ask for three X. And what's really terrible about uh, you know investors who aren't normal, normally investing in this space is they ask for really aggressive terms early on. That if, say, you gave away two or three X preference early on, it's going to be hard to do follow on fundraising when an investor sees that because that's going to be, that's going to be impactful to them. They don't, want to be, they don't want to participate in that company. So either you're going to have to go through an exercise of uh, recapping and negotiating with your prior investors to get new funding or you're just not going to be able to raise it. Yeah. And so, you know, these steps you take now, whether it's the total valuation and whether that's a turnoff to future, to future investors or what is the terms in your agreement, you have to be very careful about it because you have to think in the long term not just the current step.
0: Yeah, and one thing I kind of learned going through this process and I'm curious if you see this as well is that a lot of these investors when they put the money in, they're just putting terms in, not necessarily because they actually want the terms, but because they want to be invited to a negotiation table at the next round of funding, right? They want to be in. They want to use those almost as chess pieces to to kind of get other things they want or force the entrepreneurs and the new investors to discuss it with them so they get leverage. Do you see that frequently?
1: I think you can. You know, one of the things that we really talk about is the difference between smart money and kind of just, just plain dollars. I don't want to call it stupid money, but you know, the smart money, the guys who come in and they're not trying to, they're not trying to do too much in terms of what they get out of, out of the, you know, uh, investment terms. They're really there to help the business. And yeah. if you ask them what's the number one thing they'll do, they go. They can list at least one or two things they're going to do to drive your business forward. Their value is more than just the dollars they put in. They can have an exponential impact on the business itself, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of money you need to attract. Where people aren't necessarily trying to do that. I can understand pro rata rights. I know that like if you put you know every investor if they put money in, they want to be able to kind of sustain their equity levels in the future or have a right to. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but there's definitely investors with you know different they have different goals in mind and having goals online is incredibly important for investors and uh, and founders. I have a story of a startup I worked at before I ever worked at IAC where you recognized very early on that the investors and the founders were just not seeing eye to eye. And had how it. did
0: you recognize that? You could you sense it. It's like, it's like seeing a bad marriage. Like board meetings or overheard phone calls or what? Uh, every, anything and
1: everything. So I would sit in the board meetings. I was the one building the financial models. as you know, showing where we could go and you just, you recognize there's two things that are important to every business, and I and I talk about this all the time. Um, the first being you need to have a fit culturally, and the second thing you need to have a fit in vision. And if one of those two things don't exist, right, don't get in bed with somebody, don't do it because it's going to fall apart at some point. And I think on both of those standpoints, particularly on the fit of vision, you had a big clash, and that's you know what led to what was a, a you know a good result in shutting down before we launched, because it would have been a really, really ugly process to have to do it later.
0: Yep, that's that's interesting. So I'm gonna force you, Jonathan, to pick a baby. Here's what I mean. I'm a startup entrepreneur. It's, it's my first time ever building a business. I've gotten lucky. I have many term sheets on the table. I might even have an offer from YEC and Techstars or 500 Startups to go through their programs. Maybe I have some VCs with term sheets that wanna invest. Who is right now, you've seen a lot, who is the friendliest investor for the entrepreneur right now?
1: That's a great question. Um, Pick Jonathan, I that, don't dance. What's who is it? I think there are a lot of good, a lot of <laughs> a lot of strong uh, uh, relationships out there. I mean I'm part of I've been operating partner at Interplay Ventures. You know, when we make investments, we put together really, really amazing term sheets. And that we're very much focused on what's the what's the value add that we can provide if we're going to get into an investment. What's right?
0: the what's the thesis? You said it's called interplay. I'm Googling it right now. So Interplay is interesting. There's
1: kind of three elements to what Interplay does. The first is a foundry, which is what we came out of. So Mark Peter Davis, who's the founding partner of Interplay is my co-founder in Nomad Financial. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've helped found over, I believe at this point, 15 businesses. And they have a really, really high success rate. A lot of those are bootstrapped like ourselves. Mm-hmm. The second pro- part of the program they do is they accelerate businesses to help them get them to that first fundraise. And then once they raise their first institutional round, the business will then kind of step away from Interplay. So it's a bit of a graduation, but it's not like the Y of the world in which, you know, you're going through, you're part of a cohort and there's like a three month process and hard graduation. And then the last piece is, is investing. And we're very opportunistic investors in, you know, in companies where we see, once again, a good fit for a value we can add. As well as you know, as as well as big believers in the team and what they're building.
0: Are you investing your own personal money because that has different emotional ties than if you've raised for a, you know a fund from LPs? Which one is it? We don't have LPs. Okay, so, so it's like, your own money. It's our own money. Got it. Got it. And wh- how many investments are you making per year, and about what size?
1: It's really opportunistic. Mm-hmm. I think. I think you know personally. Last year, the ones I was involved in, I think I'm in. I was in four or five investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is. You know, we think a good year could be two if we really love those two and we didn't like anything else and it could be eight or 10, it really just depends. What's the What's, size usually? Um, you know, we're not, we're not the biggest check writers. We're going in, you know, I think it's our check size, stage. It's, 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 C stage. We've, we've gone a little bit later into even a rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, we, you know, our thing isn't always about the, the money. You know, we might be able to put hundred thousand dollars into a company or $50,000 into a company. It really is the value add that we're providing. Yep.
0: yep. Interesting. Good stuff. And I always wonder too, uh, from you, from a personal sp- perspective, when you look at your just personal asset allocation, when you sit down with your family and you discuss financials, why are you deciding to put a portion of your portfolio into startups versus you know fixed assets or securities or some real estate or some other thing?
1: Well, I think you nailed on that in saying there's a, a portion of my portfolio I'm willing to put in. And then there's obviously the areas that um, I put into, you know, ETFs where yep. I want relative, you know, relative to the market, high risk. I'm looking for eight or 9% return and it's not
0: bonds. Um, Are those but- index fund like ETFs or what? Yes. Index yeah. funds. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Um, right. And, and I think my financial advisory would give me a thumbs up if he's listening to this or something. <laughs> um, whereas for, you know, there's some portion of my portfolio where, you know, my love and my passion and what I really, really, you know, live for is entrepreneurship and being part of this. And this is, an extension of that and it's putting my money where my mouth is on top of what I've already done with Nomad um, and these things I, you know they're just I'm going to believe in what they're doing and uh, you know I have a very long term time frame you know I think people mistakenly don't understand how illiquid they're going to be as well as how long the investment cycle is going to be and I'm okay with that Yeah, I know that some of these things that they pop will take 7 to 10 years I'm very realistic about that um, and my hope is that this when that money comes back in I'm going to probably just turn around and reinvest it and keep going through that cycle of having a pool of capital and consistently putting in businesses.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I know a lot of people right now that have had a little success. They're trying to raise their own little funds, call it a million to five million. And their biggest challenge is they deploy all that capital fairly rapidly. And the problem is they can't go back to LPs or their friends and raise more capital until one of those exits. So it makes it difficult uh, because the incentives aren't aligned. They have to wait another five, 10 years to to raise more capital until an exit happens. So yeah, it's always, you know, I think, top chart. one of the things you should take from this interview, because Jonathan's a unique guy, he's been on both sides. You've got to make sure like incentive structure are aligned. It's just like Survivor when you're voting somebody out, or Big Brother. You have to make sure the people around you have the same incentive structure. Otherwise, you're going to have conflict eventually, right, Jonathan? Absolutely, absolutely. I I couldn't put any better than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is awesome, Jonathan. Uh, before we get into the famous five, tell us real quick if people want to connect to you personally online, where is the best place for them to do that?
1: If you want to, if you want to connect with me directly, just email me. Um, I'm a big fan. I'll be. I'm super responsive. You can email me. It's just the letter J at Nomad Financial. And then um, you can find us on our website, nomadfinancial.com. You can see all of our services there. Um, You can reach out if you're more interested in some of our services. You can reach out through our contact form and the right person on our team will get back to you.
0: All right, guys. Very quickly, many of you heard I acquired Send Later at nathanlatka.com forward slash send later. And here's the thing. I don't want to hire a big team. I'm a business guy, though, so I need... Developers. So what I did is I found this little website. I found this guy named He Shiming. I paid him over $12,000 to help me keep building this business, which I will take public by the time I turn So it's called TopTal. And what TopTal does, it's a network of elite pre-vetted software developers. Basically, I told TopTal what I was looking for. They search their network for the best people. They even test the candidates, which saves me time. And then they just said, Nathan, here, use this candidate. They meet your individual needs. And boom, I'm off to the races. So once you pick someone on TopTal, you can start working with them the next day. Now, for my people, TopTal is offering a no-risk trial period that you can get at Nathan. NathanLatka.com forward slash T-O-P-T-A-L. Again, NathanLatka.com forward slash toptal to get started. This is perfect if you're a business person listening that doesn't know how to incentivize or find a technical co-founder. Go to NathanLatka.com forward slash TopTol and get started building your app now. That's awesome. tribe, there you have it. We'll link to that in the show notes at NathanLatka.com forward slash the top. Four zero five again. Four zero five. Jonathan, famous five time. You ready? Yes. Let's Number do it. one, favorite business book.
1: Right now, I say it's Adam Grant's Give and Take. It's just an amazing perspective on the types of people you're going to be involved with in this world. And I, when I think culturally about what I want to build at Nomad, it involves understanding that we want to we want to build a community of givers. Um, I recommend to anybody. He's he's brilliant.
0: Number two, CEO that you're following or studying right now.
1: Um I'm actually I'm going to old school right now I'm going to the OG I'm going to John D Rockefeller I'm <laughs> listening to the Audible book Titan, titan. Yep. it is unreal i think there's so much good detail in there that i pick up on and i love the fact that he started off his career as a bookkeeper
0: yeah it's a good one in fact i actually just finished his bio uh, several weeks ago and am now practicing some of his strategies you know he did kind of i don't know if you're to this part yet but he did kind of oil well consolidation and i said you know what well, let me let me try consolidation play so it's funny i'm actually going and acquiring a bunch of uh chrome plugins right now in the b2b SaaS space and uh trying a little roll-up so i would encourage people if you read titan and you read these books make Make sure you're taking at least one or two principles from it and actually trying it in real life. Uh, Jonathan, what was your, what's your biggest takeaway right now from that book, John, from John specifically?
1: Yeah, I, I think as a leader, what is one of the really interesting things that, you know, you don't hear about ever in history books, you're not reading this, is his approach when you go to meetings. He was very collaborative. He listened to other people. He was incredibly respectful. I think when you have an image of, of what one of these robber barons used to be like, they're these like, you know, over the top personalities who would boss people around. And that actually was the exact opposite of who he was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to study that, that guy. He's a, he's a unique one. Number, uh, let's go to the next one. Number three is our favorite online tool you have, like FreshBooks.
1: Yeah, the finance story me wants to say Expensify or some of our accounting software yeah. we use, which is the backbone. For me, it's audible. I love listening to books at a at, you know double speed while I'm commuting or walking my dog or working out. And that's, I'm turning dead time into learning time.
0: You a big podcast guy too or no? I'm
1: pretty big. I go through periods. It really depends on what book I'm reading, how much I focus on it.
0: Interesting. All right. Ne- next question: Yes or no? Do you get eight hours of sleep every night? Uh, I would say I can still get between seven and eight. am I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a
1: big believer in it, but it's it's hard. Yeah, dude, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. And how old are you? I'm I'm 34. I dropped caffeine last year, so <laughs> now I feel like I know if I'm if I'm tired, the answer is go get sleep. That's really I keep it simple.
0: I love that. And and what's your situation? Married? Single? You have kids? Uh, I'm single. Um, I'm a dog parent. There you uh, go. That counts. It, Exactly. Totally exactly. Counts. Dog food every morning. Dude, it's a freaking big responsibility. Exactly. Um, I'm not kidding either. I mean, my animal, I don't get animals cause they die in like three days. I just can't <laughs> do it. Uh, all right, Jonathan, last question. Take us back 14 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? You know, I
1: think one of the themes I brought up earlier is this idea of cultural fit, as long as fit and vision. And I think that's important. I think sometimes when you go into an opportunity, your gut is sensing red flags. I hope like, oh, that one of those isn't there. Listen to your gut. Right? Listen to your gut that if you're taking risks and you're making big decisions in your career, whether it's a job or employment or founding a business, listen to your gut because if your gut's saying no, you will regret it if you still go forward.
0: Top tribe. There you have it. Listen to your gut. Focus on culture. Do the right thing. From Jonathan Goss, who spent time at Vimeo before about four years ago launching his own company, Nomad Financial. Yes, this interview was a little different than most. We focused on you learning some stuff about startups, cap tables, 409 evaluations, pro formas, you know, time bombs, new startups focus on. If you liked this style, which is more educational versus numbers, shoot me a quick text. Just let me know 703 431 2709. I'll get more guys like Jonathan on. Again, 703 703- 431-2709. Jonathan, thank you for taking us to the top. If you enjoyed Jonathan today, go back and listen to Roy man from yesterday. Roy did 360 grand in June revenue. He's on track to do 4 million this year with 5,000 customers paying $72 per month on average. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning and don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win a hundred bucks every Monday.